It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, everyone. Welcome to a special edition of In the Weeds with Jimmy Young. And today we are joined by the New England political director of the Marijuana Policy Project. His name is Matt Simon. And believe it or not, I'm in the Boston area and he's in New Hampshire and Manchester. So, Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure to be here, Jimmy. Thanks so much for having me. And of course, it's, a, it's actually a pretty big day because uh, congratulations are in order because Vermont did something yesterday uh, that no other state has been able to do, which is actually legalize adult use recreational cannabis and introduce a medical program through their legislature. Uh, Matt, I know you were involved with that. Take me through the process, would you? Sure. So the Marijuana Policy Project's been involved in Vermont for more than 15 years. I've personally been involved since they hired me in December of 2011. So almost a decade personally trying to uh, work in a state where, unlike Massachusetts and a lot of other states, who can't put it on the ballot and have voters vote on it. Everything we do in Vermont, just like half of the U.S. states, has to go through the legislative process. So Vermont passed a very limited medical cannabis law back in 2004. They expanded it a few years later. They added dispensaries a few years later. Decriminalization in 2013. And then for the last several years, we've been trying to get cannabis to be actually legalized for adult use, have an actual regulated system, and transition the medical system, which was regulated by a law enforcement agency and still is. And that makes no sense whatsoever. Part of this new bill is that uh, the new Cannabis Control Board will regulate all adult use and medical cannabis. And that's just huge win. Uh, a lot of work left to do to implement it, obviously, and get it up and running, but a huge step forward to see a legislature do this, uh, to have a Republican governor not sign the bill, but allow it to become law without his signature and see a state move forward. It's terrific. Uh, was that frustrating at all, waiting for Governor Phil Scott to actually either sign it or you kind of knew at that point that it was going to go through but uh, that's a symbolic thing, I guess, because he's got that little R after his name, huh? Yeah, I, it was really in doubt until the very last minute. Anybody who told you they knew what was going to happen was either the governor's best friend or, or lying to you. <laughs> uh, it was very much in doubt. And I think it was a difficult decision for his office. He has some very concerns that he's stated repeatedly over the years, but he saw that the legislature had tried to compromise and had done a lot of what he was worried about. So uh, 
the benefits of moving forward, ending prohibition, transitioning to a sensibly regulated system. I think he sees the wisdom in that, even though he's very much supported by police chiefs and a lot of uh, conservative type folks. So not an easy thing for him to do, but he would have, it's very popular in the state of Vermont. So he would have made people angry either way. And in this case, he went the right direction. Yeah. And it's amazing to me in the state that gave us Ben and Jerry's fish, uh, the spaceman Bill Lee is a native of Vermont. uh, Mm -hmm. You still had to go through the political process. And then on the other side, I actually um, am happy to hear that the political process uh, actually worked in Vermont. And, you know, our democracy has taken quite a hit, at least at the federal level over the last few years. I don't want to get into the the, the politics of it, but let's strictly about democracy. The, the people in Vermont voiced their opinions to their representatives and their representatives got the job done. Um, as an American, that makes me feel really good. How about you? <laughs> Absolutely. This is an issue, I think, more than any other in all the states where I work, but certainly in New England, it's more bipartisan than anything else. People realize that cannabis prohibition is a failure whether you're liberal, conservative, libertarian, you really have to be an authoritarian to love cannabis prohibition because it it doesn't produce, it doesn't protect public health and safety. It doesn't achieve any of its stated goals. It only makes things worse for people. So getting policymakers together in a room, forgetting the tribal political stuff, focusing on what is actually happening in Vermont? How many people are using cannabis? Where are they getting it? What kind of a system do we have? what works and what doesn't. And that's really been, it's been remarkable to see Vermont legislators for many years. It started with a study committee back in 2015, and then there was a study commission. Every off season they've been trying to understand what's really happening in Colorado and Washington, what's really happening in states that have legalized, let's separate fact from fiction and make good policy for our state. So that is a trend that other state legislatures should certainly be be tuned into, and hopefully this is just the first of many dominoes. Absolutely. And one of the things that I know was part of this bill was the expungement of past cannabis possession crimes and uh, people's records. And I know that was actually something I believe that the governor was adamant about adding. Am I right or wrong on that? It's actually a separate bill that passed and was signed by the governor, and it's something uh-huh. that's it's a concurrent issue. Uh, yeah. the, it was a strategic decision to have it be two different bills in case one of the one or the other failed. You know, we wanted to make sure that that at least <laughs> uh, expungement happened. But he did sign the expungement bill, and and that is that is a big deal. The state will actually have to spend money and time to eliminate all these past misdemeanor offenses. But they decided it was worth doing uh, in the interest of justice. So, big step forward there. And one of the interesting developments in my own personal education about the plant um, is the fact that um, I read Bruce Barcott's book, uh, Weed the People, and he explained that what changed his mind about this plant was uh, hanging out with one of his friends who worked for the ACLU and how it was explained to him that this really was not a drug issue anymore. It truly was a civil rights issue. Um, Do you concur with that? I think it's more fundamentally a civil rights issue. It's important to understand uh, the differences between various drugs and their harmfulness, but when it comes down to it, prohibition only makes 
cannabis more harmful by, by pushing it into an un, unregulated market. And we're trying to minimize the harms associated with, with cannabis. And that's, that's best achieved through a regulated system. So it's, it should be the best system for people who happen to love cannabis, but it should be the best system for everybody, whether you love cannabis, hate cannabis, or, or don't care at all about right. cannabis, frankly. Absolutely. And here's another thing about Vermont. And this one, I, I, I'm really, I'll be honest with you, I didn't look into this too hard. But in Massachusetts, they are allowing you to home grow the plant. Where does home grow live in Vermont? And, you know, there's a lot of room out there to grow it at home in Vermont. Right. Uh, is that part of this bill or not? It's not part of this bill because it's already legal. Aha, good. <laughs> We've, we won that battle two years ago. Uh, Governor Scott did sign that bill in 2018. So uh, we, before we were able to get consensus around the idea of a regulated market, we were able to build consensus in Vermont, a very rural state that values civil liberties. Mm -hmm. We were able to build that consensus to allow adults the freedom to grow a few plants for themselves and possess cannabis. So that's been for two years, the status quo. And, but the reality is most Vermonters don't want to grow their own cannabis. Many do, but many don't. And so we see the Massachusetts stores in Northwestern Massachusetts have Vermont license plates all through the parking lots. People really do want to buy this product in stores and have the freedom to grow at home. So how much pressure is on New Hampshire now? Because they're surrounded. They've got Vermont, they've got Maine, and they've got Massachusetts. Right. Uh, do you expect New Hampshire to be the next? And that's where you live, right? Right. I've been working in New Hampshire for 14 years on this issue. I've watched this, this lag behind the entire rest of the region. And I've jokingly said that when there are stores all around New Hampshire on all three borders, then... Maybe then our politicians will see the light. And I was joking, but here we are. There, uh, I think there are seven or eight stores within 15 miles of the southern border in Massachusetts. Retail stores are opening in Maine on Friday. I don't right. think they're any right on our border, but there will be. And then this bill in Vermont is going to lead to stores popping up along the New Hampshire border. So ironically, people from the rest of New England drive to New Hampshire to buy their cheap booze from the state <laughs> liquor stores. Right. But Granite Staters are spending their money already in Massachusetts, paying taxes in Massachusetts. So we're going to get there at some point, but our governor, Chris Sununu, is not supportive. So it, it may require getting two-thirds in both chambers and overriding his veto or somehow convincing him to evolve. Well, I have a dear friend named Tim Egan, who's a representative in New Hampshire. I, I guess you know, you know, I'm sure you do. And uh, he and I have talked about this very issue in this very studio, uh, I want to say maybe five months ago. Uh, and he brought up the head point, the fact that, you know, New Hampshire is going to be surrounded by, by legal states. Um, how much resistance are you getting in that state? And do you think you have potential, even with a governor like Sununu in place right now? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of factors working in our favor. Uh, we have this huge House of Representatives, 400 members, they make 100 bucks a year. Yes. And they've been passing legalization bills for years. The House is very democratic with the small d democratic. The, yep. the voice of the people is heard in, in the New Hampshire House. And then you go to the Senate where it's only 24 members. And they also only make a hundred bucks a year, but they, they take themselves rather more seriously and they tend to form close relationships with, for example, the police chiefs association and other established 
groups and they're much more squeamish politically about doing anything that seems controversial. So the Senate's been a tough nut to crack. It was tough nut to crack on medical. It was a tough nut to crack on decrim and it's going to be tough, but we. Gives, gives you something well, to do every day. Good year, I don't know. We'll know better after the election. And, and there are a number. <laughs> and the other thing about New Hampshire is with so many small districts and, and, you know, Hunter votes easily shifts a state Senate. There were two, two state Senate seats that were hundred votes or so last two years ago. And we'll see who gets elected on November before I can tell you whether we can count enough votes to win. Well, I, I, you know, obviously um, I, I live in Massachusetts and I am a product of a Massachusetts family, a native and all that. So needless to say, I, I tend to lean on one side and I've been supportive of uh, cannabis legislation and legalization for many, many years. Although I will admit, I'm meeting plenty of advocates who have been working in the trenches like yourself um, for years and years. And I admit, I'm a little late to the party. I, I want, and, and by the way, I'm still trying to prove myself to advocates too, that I'm actually one of the, uh, the good guys on that side. But I, I do know that the stigma still is out there. And you've mentioned law enforcement a couple of times. One of the things that I've been encouraged by is that in some of these legal states, the law enforcement community is actually supporting the change because of all the millions of dollars that goes into uh, actually bringing in someone who has broken a possession law or, or something like that. And I, I, I just wonder, when are we, have we reached that point? And I guess again, we're going to find out in a couple of weeks, right? right. Well, I think I mean, I, there's been a big shift in public opinion on cannabis, both population wide, and I think within the law enforcement community as well. So a few years ago, Pew Research did a very detailed nationwide study of law enforcement attitudes. And they found that two thirds of police officers nationally support medical cannabis, right. and one third support adult use legalization. I think it was in 2017, those numbers are probably quite a bit higher now. And it matches my experience. When I talk to rank and file police officers, yep. good cops who want to protect public safety, want to catch criminals, they do not want to bust people for cannabis. That's not what they got into this to do. And it's really the police chiefs, some, some of the police chiefs associations, some of the police unions that have other interests. And, you know, it's been, they fought us on medical cannabis, they fought us on decrim, they fought us on taxing and regulating, they fought us on every aspect of it. And in many cases after it passes, they become okay with it. So often the task is convincing legislators, look, they're very much against it right now in this moment, but if you do pass the bill, it becomes law and then it's their job to enforce the law and they'll get over it. Right, that's a great- will. Yeah, I certainly hope so. And, um, you know, you talk about the convincing process. Mm. Um, to me, the um, science and research now that's been out there certainly offsets most of the taboos and most of the arguments by the prohibitionists. Uh, so I'd like to know a little bit more about the process of convincing those who still have not been enlightened about why God put this plant on the earth and how many thousands of years it's been used medicinally. So 
what is that process like for you? I mean, are you holding <laughs> seminars, webinars, you sending out emails and talking to people on an almost regular basis? Is that the process? Yeah, it's kind of an all of the above sort of approach. But for example, in a state like Vermont, it's usually tied to a legislative goal. So for many years, medical cannabis was the legislative goal and we organized patients. We tried to talk to every medical professional we could we tried to get credible people to come forward and tell their stories and change the narrative, and it, and it worked over time. With decrim, it's an emphasis on the harms of prohibition and wrecking somebody's life for using a substance that is objectively much, much less harmful than alcohol, and there's no justification for it. And now today, we're talking about adult use legalization. It's the same sort of process. There are a million objections that our opponents throw out there. They've got their own talking points. They've got their own studies. And, you know, we, we have to be able to respond to all of it. We have to be able to educate all of our allies and all of our legislative allies so that they understand the issue well enough to go to a town hall and get grilled by a prohibitionist and be able to confidently answer those questions. And that's what it really takes before legislators are comfortable voting for something. They have to feel like they've got a grasp on it and that somebody's going to yell at them. I mean, prohibition is, the war on drugs is deeply ingrained in our society. It was considered back in the 80s, it was, you ha if you're a moral person, you definitely support the war on drugs. Now, that wasn't really, really moral, but that was the sense, that was the idea, right? It was yeah. the, the moral majority and, you know, drugs are bad. If you're for legalization, you're a bad person. And there are people who still think that way. We have to change that. It's one step at a time, one meeting at a time. Presentations to groups like Rotary Clubs have been, I think, helpful. You know, a lot of older people, business owners, people who are leaders in their communities, people who might have a problem with this. And just trying to get that message in, in front of as many people as possible. But this is about smarter public policy. This is about recognizing that what we've been doing has been very harmful and trying to do better in the future. Absolutely. And one of the things I talked to your old friend Morgan Fox about a little bit was the fact that it's amazing to me that we've got that this division at the federal level is is so bipartisan, is so partisan, right? We've got the Republicans right. and the Democrats. And the fact that the Republicans do such a great job of counting how many times the word cannabis is in the, the last COVID relief bills that uh -huh. keep coming to them. And they say, and it's in there more than jobs. And I'm like, wait a second. The whole point of the cannabis industry is to increase jobs, employ people through education, and it just does not compute. It, no, it, and it doesn't compute for a lot of Republicans either. Right. You look at the polls, the majority of Republicans now nationwide support legalization. So maybe I'm fortunate to be working in Vermont and New Hampshire, which are two states where we've really had Republican champions on this issue who have been willing to step up and and before it, and to, it's just very disappointing to see the national GOP continue to double down on, on, on prohibition when there are so many examples of Republican politicians who have been courageous on this issue and have experienced no negative <laughs> you know, impacts from it whatsoever. They're doing the right thing. They're recognized for it. Uh, Senator Joe Benning in Vermont, we probably would not, we would, no way this actually would, would have gotten past Governor Phil Scott without some really key Republicans being strong voices on the issue. So 
Well, it's it's a whole new day. I, I use this line whenever I close my podcast, and I really do believe in this line that it truly is a whole new world of weed out there. And I and I preach responsible use of it, and we lead with education. And I know as you're nodding your head, I can totally see you agree with that. And it's people like you who have been doing this for so many years. That's why I salute you. I congratulate you. I, I, I admire and respect uh, the work that you've done. So first of all, thank you so much for joining me today. And please, anytime you need someone to come up to the state of New Hampshire and tell their own personal story, I am more than willing to do that at any time. And in fact, my story, just so you know, is available online on our website because I've told it many, many times. So Matt Simon, again, congratulations on the great job you guys did in Vermont. And you are welcome in my studio anytime. And again, anything I can do to help the cause, please do not be afraid to ask. Awesome, Jimmy. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. And remember, it is a whole new world of weed out there. Use it responsibly. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. We Talk Now, We Talk News, and In the Weeds are all available on most major podcast distributors like iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and our friends at clnsmedia.com and our flagship, cannabis.net. So subscribe, share, and like our videos on all the social media networks out there, including LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, The Weed Tube, and YouTube. Weed Talk and In the Weeds are two productions of pro-cannabis media supported by Revolutionary Clinics, one of the top medical cannabis dispensaries in the Massachusetts area, now with three locations in Greater Boston, two in Cambridge, and one on Broadway in Somerville. Rev Clinics has a patient-first mission. They will customize your needs as a medical patient with the proper titration and combination of strains, flavors, and products. Rev Clinics, where the patient comes first. We are Pro Cannabis Media.